About 10 years ago, I had one of those really awkward cross-cultural experiences. I was preaching in Malawi, and for whatever reason, I thought it was a good idea to tell a story in my sermon using a piñata as an illustration. Now, every, every child, every kid in Southern California knows what a piñata is. It's a part of our, our birthday celebration culture. But that's not the case in Central Africa. I, I talked about stuffing a, a decorated cardboard animal full of candy, about, about tying it to a tree and, and beating it with a stick until the candy came out. And, and the man who was translating my sermon just kind of looked at me and said, with that, that face, like, what in the world are you talking about? The, the 20 to 25 percent of the, the people in the congregation who actually had heard of a pinata or knew what it is, they were laughing hysterically, but everyone else was just confused. The reality is, every time we have a cross-cultural conversation, we, we risk losing something in translation. Not understanding the other person, not being understood ourselves, or even worse, offending them. So this fall, we've been talking through what it looks like to engage today's difficult conversations. Some of which happen in our own church, some of which happen in our, our families, and, and some that happen in our neighborhoods. But we also live in a time where, where different parts of the world are, are more connected than they have ever been with one another. It, it, it's to the point where, where most weeks, whether through email or social media, or, or through text messages, phone calls. Someone in my house is, is talking with one of our friends, either in, in Europe somewhere, or in Africa somewhere, or, or somewhere else in a different corner of the United States. And, and I don't think that it's just my family that's connected in this way. Many of us have friends that are scattered all over the world. So over the last six months, this digital service has had folks tune in from almost every continent. And I'm guessing it's because members of our WPC community have invited their friends to participate in worship. Today's world looks different than it did 5, 10, 20 years ago. We're more connected with one another than we have ever been. So... How do we engage in healthy, life-giving, God-honoring conversations in a time where, where cross-cultural dialogue can take place with such ease? How do we talk about our cultural differences with one another? How do we learn from one another? And what can we do to share the love of Christ to our neighbor when our neighbor can literally be anyone, anywhere in the world? Today's church needs to learn to have these global conversations because it's so easy to have them today. And one way that we can have those conversations is by earnestly seeking shalom, complete peace, complete wholeness, that's what that Hebrew word means, in every cross-cultural dialogue and interaction we have. There is so much we can learn from one another about all kinds of subjects, including faith. But we have to learn to listen. It's along the lines of what we talked about a few weeks ago with, 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 with stories and listening to stories and life experiences from other people and taking them for face value, even though their experience is so much different than our own. So our first passage this morning from the third chapter of the Gospel of John, it starts with what is probably the most well-known scripture passage in the entire Bible. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It's such an important reminder of how deep and far-reaching God's love really is. The world, it really is a big place, and sometimes it's so easy to get caught up in our own kind of narrow view, our own bubble, that we miss out on what God is doing in other places in the world. So our second passage this morning it gives us this crystal clear picture of what it looks like to bring peace into cultures that don't look like our own. So if you read through the book of Jeremiah in, in one sitting from, from start to finish, you'll see that it's a story. It tells a story of a people that unfolds over about 40 years, give or take. Jeremiah, he's this, this prophet who, who, who spoke truth in a time when God's people really needed hope. And they were in exile in Babylon and they were looking for, for words of assurance, words of encouragement, hope. And they're lost without direction. They're not quite sure how to live as faithful people in a culture that looks so much different than anything they were used to. So the Babylonians, they held this practice that, that wasn't all that uncommon then and not all that uncommon today, but where, where people move into a new land and conquer that land and expect the other people to kind of assimilate to the now dominant culture. Their entire goal was to get the, the Israelites to become like them in Babylon. So they took the, the people who were in the upper echelon of society and they brought them to the center of their culture and expected them to adapt, to learn their language, to, to learn to enjoy their food, to, to adapt to their cultural norms. And, and the belief was, if they could just force the leaders of one culture to assimilate to, to their world, eventually other people would follow, even if it took multiple generations to get there. So, of course, some of the captains, they, captives, they, they fought it. And Jeremiah gives them a word that was probably at least a little surprising. And also probably one that, that wasn't received all that well at first. So starting Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 4, this is what we read. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace, that's that word shalom, and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, that city, you too will prosper. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Jeremiah, he goes on to, to warn God's people about false prophets. And then he assures them that while things might be hard for a while, God has a plan to bring them prosperity, to give them hope for the future. There's a plan for now and there's a plan for the future. It had present and future. They're connected again. They're to get to work settling down, planting roots, seeking peace. They're to work for the well-being of every single person they meet, even the people who have captured them, even the people who took them away from what they knew. This is what Jeremiah understood to be shalom. It was the sometimes counterintuitive act of working toward the health and well-being, complete well-being of everyone. 
So, so we don't necessarily today live in Babylon, but, but what does it look like for us to engage in conversations in today's globalized world with that kind of mindset? How do we remind ourselves of God's love for the entire world in each and every conversation we have? So when Tim Keller, a pastor, preaches on this passage, he says that the idea is that we're not tourists. We don't just show up in a city for a visit and then leave. We're residents. Well, what does it look like for us to be residents in in today's super connected world? Jeremiah tells God's people who, who are out of place to invest in the place where they've been exiled. Today, we're, we're residents in a, in a globalized world, and we need to invest in it. Babylon was this urban city about 800 miles outside of Jerusalem, and it represented everything that the people of Israel thought was, was dirty. Babylonians didn't share their beliefs or their values. They had different laws. They ate different food, different customs. They, they, they worshipped other gods. It was a massive clash of cultures. It would have been very uncomfortable for, for God's people to be there for five minutes, let alone for 70 years. So why in the world would God, remember, that's the weird part about this, this passage in Jeremiah, is God takes them there. But why would God take them there and tell them to invest in this completely different place? Later on in Jeremiah, we, we, we get an answer, and it, it's pretty much because the people of Israel needed a reminder that God had a purpose for the entire world, not just for them. Earlier this week, I was reading about the, the different attitudes the American church tends to take toward the rest of, of the world. So over the last 40 or, or 50 years, the the church has typically stood in, in one of two places whenever a, a hot button topic comes up in our, our culture, regardless of what the issue is. We, we've stood up, we've stood up to the culture, fought against, pushed back, or we've acquiesced to the changes in society. And, and wherever you stand on whatever hot button topic it is at a time, uh, it, 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 it doesn't really matter. It, it's why there's been so many church splits. Jeremiah calls for a different sort of option. He invites the exiles in Babylon to engage, to cultivate shalom while holding to their true identity. What does that look like for us today when those hard issues come up? In a time where we can pretty much pick up the phone and call anyone anywhere in the world. May we be a people who seek out cross-cultural dialogue. May we seek shalom in uncomfortable conversations. Amen.